Today we're finishing the series, The Voice, and we've, we've celebrated the fact that God says yes. We preached to you about the times when God says no. We've talked to you about when God says slow, when he says not now, when he says welcome home, when he says well done, good and faithful servant. And I was prepared to close this series and start a new one today. But the Holy Spirit shook me to my core and said, how can you finish a series without preaching on this? And I believe the Lord will use this not only as a closing to the voice series, but also an introduction to my next series, which will be titled Invest. I don't ever want to sell out or become worldly, although I am a grace guy. I'm also a truth guy, and I believe that I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't preach to you the truth of what the Bible says. I wish there were certain things that weren't in the Bible, but I'm not God, and I don't make the rules. My job is to be a steward of His truth and the great doctrines of God's Word. So I close this series today with a message titled, When God Says Depart From Me. Probably the scariest passage of Scripture in all of the New Testament, at least it is for me, and I hope it is for you. This is the closing of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He gives encouragement and he challenges people, but then he gets to this particular part about the time in which we live today. And he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets, counterfeits, those who preach a wrong doctrine. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, which could mean come to you as peaceful and innocent and humble when they're really not. Or it could certainly be a reference to Elijah's mantle that Elisha took up, but who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves, in it for their self, doing ministry for the wrong reasons, not following the pattern or the scriptures of Jesus Christ. It says you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. There is no gray area in that statement. If you are a good tree, you bear good fruit. If you are a bad tree, you bear bad fruit. A bad tree doesn't bear both. You're either good or you are bad. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. But Pastor Ronnie, we're not supposed to judge. No, we're not supposed to judge. But we are. God has called us to judge the fruits of others. There are times, even in 2 Peter, when Christians are not supposed to be judgmental, but you are to judge. 
if you look like a creep, my child's not spending the night with you. I'm judging you. You know, if I'm driving down an alley and I see folks that look like they've killed three or four people, I'm not going down there. And that's not being judgmental, that's just being smart. But here's the scariest part to me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? I mean, this is about preachers. Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Many believe that the earth will be rolled up when Jesus returns. And it will be as if, not that God didn't create you or know that you would exist, but he never knew you intimately in the season that he gave you. I don't know about you, but this passage of scripture scares me to death. If you have hell inside of you, it ought to scare the hell out of you. Because it's not enough to go through the motions in the kingdom of God. It means that God is watching those who are real and those who are right and those who are serving God, trying to do the will of the Father. This passage of scripture ought to cause you above all to seek God's face. I believe that heaven is real, that hell is real. I believe we ought to invest in other people because heaven is a reality, but hell is a reality. I believe the Bible teaches that. It's not God's plan for you to go to hell. We were not created for hell. We were made in the image of God. The Bible says the Lord is patient with us and that he is not slow in keeping his promise. Instead, he is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. There are many different words for hell in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the word used is Sheol, which meant hell and a deep grave. And then there's Hades, which is the new covenant version of hell. And then oftentimes, Jesus used the word Gehenna, which was the lake of fire. It was the place where children were offered to false gods. Later, the Jewish people turned it into a city dump. So the first thing I must tell you about hell is that it's a matter of doctrine. The Bible doesn't support universalism. In fact, it speaks clearly of the areas that we fall short so that we will repent. God's standards aren't for us to hate people. His standards are for us to, to know in our hearts that we are in need of His amazing grace, of His unmerited, undeserved favor. But I'm afraid in some circles we have compromised truth for grace. We are a house of grace here at Abba's house. 
but we are also a house of truth. And I wouldn't be doing what God had called me to do if I wasn't honest with you about the areas that you and I fall short. Because I still believe in sin, transgression, iniquity, and trespasses. I still believe you can break God's heart, and I still believe you have to confess your sins to be free from them. And so, what does God's word say in regards to hell and who deserves hell? Who deserves the wrath of God? I'm going to ask you to put Romans chapter 1 verse 27 through 29 up and I just want you to hang there for a minute while I run through this list for you. Hypocrites deserve hell. Matthew 24 verse 51. The word hypocrite means to wear a mask. I hate that word. And if you ever want to get under my skin, call me that word. I hate that. It's it, it, because most people don't understand the definition of that word when they throw it on someone. It, a sinner is not a hypocrite. We all have fallen short of God's glory. We all sin. A sinner is not a hypocrite. Someone who wears a mask pretending to be something that they are not, that's a hypocrite, not someone who is fighting in a struggle, a flesh struggle. A hypocrite is to wear a mask. It means you know that you are trying to manipulate people by being something that you are not. So we need to understand what that word means. But it says hypocrites deserve God's wrath. Mark 11 verse 26, the unforgiving. If we don't forgive the people that have hurt us, if we harbor bitterness in our hearts, we deserve hell. Homosexuals. Fornicators. Look at what the Bible says, Romans chapter 1, verse 27 through 29. Not just those in homosexual sin, but those in any sexual sin. We want to focus on political sins, but there are many sins. Fornicators, wicked people, Romans chapter 1, verse 29. Just read it for yourself, it's above you. Covetous people, people that make God their money and covet what their neighbors own or what their neighbors have achieved or what their neighbors have. The malicious, the envious, murderers deserve hell, the deceitful deserve hell, backbiters, those who run their mouths and gossip all the time. I mean, it's in the same context as these sins we like to beat other people up about. But we we oftentimes overlook what we do and what we don't struggle with and point out what other people struggle with. The purpose of this passage of Scripture is not to beat you up. It's so that you'll seek God's face for yourself. Let me give you a quick litmus test if you're a religious person or not. If I started reading this list and you started thinking about other people, not yourself, you're a religious person and you need repentance. I'm just being honest. Backbiters, deceitful, haters of God, Romans chapter 1 verse 30, the despiteful, the proud, pride's a sin, boasters, inventors of evil, those who disobey their parents, covenant breakers, the unmerciful, the unrighteous, idolaters, adulterers, the effeminate, thieves, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, those who are 
dishonest with their money and their business dealings, the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, and liars. Maybe you fall into one of those categories. God still loves you. He still created you in His image. We all fall short of God's glory, but He's called us to repent. Which is more than mouthing a prayer. It means to change your mind about the sin you're involved in. You can pray a prayer all day long, but if you haven't changed your mind about it, you're not going to change. Mark chapter 4, verse 45, And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell's fire. Somebody say Bible. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament speak of the anger and the wrath of God. We see the righteousness of God, the anger of God, and the flood of Noah. But we see the restoration of the world and of God's temples and of His churches and of people to know that God's in the rebuilding and the restoring business. Look at God's verdict on the people of Israel in Numbers chapter 11, verse 1 through 3. Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. Complainers. We don't have any of those here. This is for those of you watching online. For the Lord heard it, and His anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of the place Tabera, because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. The Hebrew word for wrath or anger is ar, and it means to snort. This is like an angry bull. The New Testament words are orje and thumos. Thumos is a sudden force of action and orje is the intense unchanging attitude of a holy God towards evil. This means that God gets angry. Romans chapter 1 verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Everybody say all. And unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So, there are recipients worthy of God's wrath. Ephesians chapter 5 says this, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication, any sex outside of marriage, and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. Neither filthiness or foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Revelation chapter 14 verse 9 
Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. Somebody say forever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of the beast. And this has to do with the Antichrist and the end times. That gives us a picture into what hell will look like. I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in the gnashing of teeth or unquenchable fire or eternal damnation for my sins. And it's my job to make sure that you don't go there and that I don't go there. John 3 verse 36, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Notice that the wrath of God manifests itself in those who don't believe in Jesus Christ. Those who haven't put their faith in Jesus Christ. God's wrath is simply his abandonment of the disobedient and of rebellious people. It's when God says, I'm done with you. That's what our text says. Many will come to me saying, Lord, Lord, did we not do miracles in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do religious things? Depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. There will come a time, and we are in the dispensation of grace. If you don't know what that means, it basically means God's being really good to his children right now. We're in the dispensation of grace right now, and it's your time to get saved. It's your time to get right. It's your time to love God. It's your time to receive the gifts of the Spirit and the things that God has for you. But there will come a time where this dispensation is over, and you will give an account. For how you lived your life on this earth and what you did with the grace of God. So it's not only a matter of doctrine, it's a matter of death. It's a matter of death. You remember the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus laying at the gate, begging at the gate, knew the Lord. The dog would lick his sores. The rich man would come by time and time again. Lazarus just wanted some crumbs off the rich man's table and the rich man goes to hell and He's begging to get out of there and ask if Lazarus would come down and just cool the tip of his tongue. He sees him in Abraham's bosom. But there's a great gulf fixed. He can't go from one eternal destination to another. And he cries out to the Father. He says, send someone to tell my family the truth. Death is universal. Everybody say death. There is no family, no race, no nation exempt from the reality of death. It's a great common denominator for all of us. Death visits us all, rich, poor, red, yellow, black, white. I don't care how much money you have or how successful you are, unless Jesus comes back first, you're going to experience death. Romans 5 verse 12, Therefore just as sin entered the world through one man, Death entered through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all have sinned. And then it goes on to say, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
So death is universal. Death is inevitable. It's my job to remind people that they're going to die. What an awesome positive job. To remind you that life isn't forever, so you'll make the right decisions. It's inevitable. Are you living your life like you have a long time to live? Or are you living your life like maybe you only have another year to live? Because I believe God wants us to live our lives in a way that bring glory and honor to Him, but I don't believe He wants us in neutral. He wants us to be serving Him and enjoying our lives and the time He has given us. Death is a door, not a wall. In Scripture, death is not the end of life. It is a journey to another place. It's separation. To be absent from the body is to what? Be present with the Lord. Physical death is separation from the spirit, man, and body. Death means you are no longer alive on this earth. You are alive somewhere else. So God has called you to live your life with a purpose. And what is your purpose? I hope it's the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. It's not only a matter of doctrine and a matter of death, it's a matter of destiny. What is your destiny? What has Christ called you to do? What kind of legacy are you leaving to the next generation? Is it a legacy of faithfulness? Or is it a legacy of selfishness? Because we get to a place in our walk where it's no longer about us. It's about what we leave behind. I mean, I'm already getting there. I have an almost senior in high school. So the days of me celebrating my birthday have long been gone. It's about what I can do for the next generation. That ought to be your goal. is to see people saved. To see a new generation serving the Lord. Serving His church. Loyal to His church. Proud of what God has done in their lives. It's a matter of destiny. There's no more choices when you die. There's no more opportunity to live your life for Jesus Christ. It's either heaven or hell. I'll never forget, shortly after I came back to the Lord, I was hanging out at my house with some people. Kelly will remember this story. and A guy from my past dropped by the house unexpectedly that night, and everyone left, and it was just me and this individual. This individual was a dope dealer in the 90s. He wasn't raised in church, had plenty of money. Family comes from wealth in this town. You'd probably know who he was if I told you, but I'm not. He came that night. He kind of began to pick at me about my decision to follow Christ and to do ministry, not in a, a you know, not in an awful way, but just in a way where I could tell he was uncomfortable with this new path I was on. Everyone left, and the Holy Spirit came on me in such an odd way, and I shared the gospel with him. I didn't think it would take. I really didn't. But I talked about hell. He was taught from his family not to trust anything to do with religion, that it's all about money and it's all about this. And 
all the things that the world says about God's church. And I made a statement after sharing the gospel with him. And the statement was pretty simple. I said, I don't want you to go to hell. I said, I don't want your money, and I don't care if you ever go to church with me a day in your life, but I don't want you to go to hell. And I'm doing this because it's the truth and it's real and God's real. And I don't want you to go to hell. He left that night. I didn't think much about it. We went to church the next morning, Kelly and I. I get home from church. A mutual friend of the young man that dropped by my house called me repeatedly while I was in church. I didn't understand what all that was about. I got out of church. I said, hey, man, what's up? He said, what did you say to so-and-so last night when I left? I said, well, God opened the door and I witnessed to him. I told him I didn't want him to go to hell. He said, I don't know if I should tell you this or not, but he went home and he dreamed he was in hell all night. And he's been trying to get a hold of you to go to church with you. And this guy's never been in church a day in his life. So sure enough, he called. It was a Sunday night. We had little babies, you know. We sat right back there. And he came to know the Lord. It's crazy. I'm telling you, we've got to get serious about sharing our faith again. We've got to get serious about investing in people again. We've got to get serious about inviting people to come to church again. You want to know why? Because hell's real. Jesus is coming back. People need a touch from God in our community. People need a place that's not divisive, that's not angry, that's not hate-filled, a place where they can come and worship God and have a family, a family that they've never had, a father that loves them unconditionally. That's what you get when you get the church. You get a father, you get a family, and you get a future. It's a matter of destiny. But it's not only a matter of destiny, it's a matter of decision. I told you of the story in Luke chapter 16 of the rich man who passed by this beggar, Lazarus. The dogs licked his sores. The beggar died and the Bible says the angels carried him into heaven. The rich man sees Abraham and Lazarus and begs for Lazarus to dip his finger in water. The coolest tongue. And this is what it says in verse 25. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. A few things about this man that went to hell. First, he rejected the word of God. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. They rejected the word of God. 
I believe if you live in the United States of America, you've heard the gospel more than once. There'll come a time where you won't get to hear it again. You won't get to ask God to forgive you again. The gulf will be fixed. Your eternity will be set in stone. He rejected the word of God. Moses and the prophets had warned. Many times the wealthy and the prideful do not want to hear about sin. Just like the Catholic Church leading into the Protestant Reformation, we feel we can buy our way out of sin. I don't care how much money you've tithed to this church or any other church or how many yachts you've got, how much success you've garnered. Sin is sin. There's only one way to get rid of it, and that's to confess it to Jesus Christ and ask Him to forgive you. I don't think there's anything wrong with having wealth. I don't believe in prosperity gospel, but I don't believe in poverty gospel either. I believe God wants to bless His people. But I believe it's harder sometimes for those who have wealth to understand as Paul said, that they are wretched, poor, naked, and blind. That they are sinners like the rest of us. They didn't want to be bothered with all this talk of sin. This man had a religion, but he didn't have Jesus. His religion was for convenience, not conviction. Not only did he reject the word of God, he rejected the people of God. Listen, it says, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. See, this poor man at the gate knew God. It, had this man cared enough about this poor man to stop and talk to him one time, his destiny could have been changed. But we're so busy and caught up in, in our daily lives. And listen, I'm, I'm busy too. My wife has a career. We're trying to raise three kids. I understand how busy life can be. But I pray that we wouldn't get so busy that we walk past a poor person in need. Or that we don't see someone who could be suicidal three cubicles down from ours. Or that we miss God's purpose for our lives because we're so caught up in what we have to do that we miss what God may want to do. Not only did he reject the word of God and the people of God, he rejected the supernatural things of God. The wealthy people at the time were Sadducees. Sadducees believed there was no life after death. They believed, man, you've got one life to live, have fun, do your thing. Like so many people believe nowadays. So many of us are taught the art of religion, how to speak and how to walk the walk and the lingo of religion. And I pray that our routine and our ritualistic religious activities haven't kept people from God. I pray that we haven't watered down the Holy Spirit's power to the degree that people think they can mouth a certain prayer, attend a certain church and get to heaven and the Holy Spirit never do something authentic in their life. If we've done that, I repent. But I pray that the church would never be a place that waters down the supernatural power of God through the Holy Spirit. Because I'm going to tell you, you didn't come to Jesus because you were a part of a good denomination. 
You came to Jesus because at some point in your life the Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin and you received God's free gift of grace through faith and you allowed God to become Lord of your life because of the Holy Spirit's power. When you water down the Holy Spirit's power, when you water down the miracles of God, you set people up for failure. We've got to believe God can do anything. How many of you believe God can do anything? If you do, give him a shout this morning. If you believe God can do something. The Bible says the natural man can't receive the supernatural exploits of God through the Holy Spirit. The natural man can't receive the things of God. Ah, but I believe I'm looking at some supernatural people this morning. You have a hero on the inside of you called the Holy Ghost that'll cause you to shift, cause you to change, and cause you to repent. Finally, this man not only rejected the supernatural things of God, he rejected his salvation. The issue wasn't wealth and poverty, not even religion or works. The issue here was faith. Romans 10 verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you want to receive the miracle of God's grace, you've got to grab hold of it by faith. You won't earn it through your intellect. So I ask you, how long are you going to ignore God's call on your life? How long are you going to ignore the knock at your heart from a Savior? How long are you going to ignore the Holy Spirit convicting you of those hidden things that you know are still there that need to be cleansed from your life so that you can be all that God has called you to be. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes all over this place. I would appreciate if you wouldn't shuffle around for the next five minutes if you need to go to work. Get there now if you would. Because this is the most important thing you'll do all day. So if you need to leave, go ahead and do it now so we can have have some people who may need Jesus have some time to receive him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't want you to hear the words, depart from me. I never knew you. How can you be sure that you will never have to hear those words? By accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I don't care if you're five years old or you're 75. It's of no consequence. You need Jesus. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life in heaven. If you need Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer with me in your heart or out loud, however you choose to do it. And Abbas House, I'm going to have you help, help me with it. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Please come into my heart and save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me for your glory. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask our pastors to make their way up front. I'm going to be coming down. 
with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I want you to look up at me. Otherwise, look down. If you prayed it and you meant it, I want you to look up at me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want you to know that your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. The Bible says, though, that he wants you to make it public, that God wants you to make it public. He says, if you'll not confess me in front of men, I'll not confess you in front of my Father. So we give you an opportunity to come down and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we want you not just to sit there ashamed, because if you're ashamed, you don't have the real Jesus. If you've asked Jesus to forgive you and you've made him the Lord of your life, we want you to come down boldly and tell one of our pastors in just a minute. We're going to baptize you in a couple weeks to celebrate this with you. We're not going to embarrass you. We'll take you out to a private area. We'll give you some information to help you get started. Now, if you're saved, but you haven't been connected to the local church, the only body Jesus has right now is his church. You need to be connected. We want you to join the church. I'd love for you to come down and say, I'm saved, but I want to join the church today. We'll celebrate that with you. Maybe you haven't been the witness God's called you to be. Maybe you're saved, but you haven't been concerned about whether or not others are saved. Maybe God's convicted you today. and You say, Pastor Ronnie, I want to share my faith. I want to love people better. You come down, we'll pray for you today. Whatever it may be. You just got to have the faith to grab hold of it. Come down and receive it. Stand on your feet all over this place. The altars are open. If you need to be saved, join the church. You need healing. You need ministry. You come in just a few moments. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word today, this hard word. Lord, we want to we receive your love and your grace. Lord, we don't want you to ever say, depart from me, I never knew you. Lord, we want you to say, well done, good and faithful servant. So Lord, teach us to be faithful and to serve you. Lord, if there are people who've accepted you, send them to us this morning. Jesus' name.